0: You've tuned in to another episode of the Wellness Couch where science and ancient wisdom collaborate 3abr 87.6 FM and we're your hosts Katarina and Brett Morrison. Last one for the year. Uh, Christmas is almost upon us and the new year. So uh, this is our last one for the year before the replay state. Now we've got a great for, show for you tonight. We're talking about karmic codes, heal the storm within with Susie Singh. And Susie's an incredible um, emotional and well being coach. Uh, YouTube mentor, speaker workshop facilitator and she's written one of the best well-known books um, uh, just recently the seven karmic codes the book is a dialogue where your soul wants to have um, with you are you struggling with challenges in your relationships or at work or does anger stress exhaustion or lack of loneliness afflict you this is a great book and a great um, conversation that we had with Susie in regards to the karmic codes Wonderful, and
1: I am delighted. Okay, and on the show tonight we have Susie who How are you, Susie? All the way from India. Very good. Yes, absolutely,
0: absolutely wonderful, and I. Okay, and on the show tonight we have Susie. Okay, and on. The- okay, and on the show tonight we have Susie seeing How are you, Susie? All the way from India. i very good. How yes, you? absolutely.
1: Absolutely wonderful and I am delighted to be on the wellness couch with you and a brat.
0: Well, we're so honoured to actually have um, someone of your calibre on our show tonight. Um, Let let us hear a little bit about you. Tell the audience about um, your life story and how you navigated to be a hypnotherapist.
1: Well, I guess I was very interested in spirituality from a very, very young and early age. I remember um, I used to travel with my grandfather to his um, city as a young child in a bus. And often on the highway, we'd come across these car crashes and accidents. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, as young as seven and eight years old, I started thinking about life, mortality, death, and the impermanence of human life, sadness, grief, all of those very complex subjects at a very young age. Then at around fourteen, fifteen, I came upon a very mystical experience where I was just standing at the gate of our home in Jaipur and um, there was a monk who walked up to me. He took off the bead rosary that he was wearing uh, around his neck. They were made out of these sacred um, tulsi beads. And um, I put them around my neck. And when I looked up, this man had vanished right before my eyes. So I still don't know whether I imagined it or whether it really (laughs) happened. I remember pinching myself to say, how is this even happening? Uh, I think wearing those beads around my neck uh, kind of set off or activated something very deep and spiritual within me because it was very interesting. It was immediately after that, that I found myself uh, being drawn to hiding in the storehouse of uh, the family home and learning to meditate, and I knew how to do it i would uh, I had never been trained in meditation at that age, but I was able to bring the attention to the third eye, and I just knew how to do this so it was it was a kind of mystical awakening for me yes definitely and yeah, and shortly after that, somebody presented my father with a book called the call of the great masters. And it had teachings of all mystics and saints. My father, I don't think read the book, but I ended up reading it. And um, it strengthened that activation that happened by wearing that um, bead around the, the beads around my neck. And shortly after, I think by the time I was 19, I met my first real teacher in this incarnation, which was Epat Sarathi, who is supposed to be the absolutely the ultimate on vedanta the gita the upanishads he's he's a very renowned master the world yeah. over wow
0: 19 so, At 19 wow
1: yes and um by the time i was 21 i met sri Sri Ravi shankar and he initiated me uh, deeply on the path of meditation and spirituality
0: Okay, and then in 1999, darling, you met with a near-fatal car crash. Did that change your... That's right. Or did that help you um, confirm your path?
1: Well, it's very interesting because usually people have life-altering experiences like this, which turn them away from the material world into spirituality. But the interesting thing was that I had already given up my career uh, a year earlier. And I had already...
0: Susie, you did have a great career as, um, you know, in the materialistic world as a general manager at Lintus Advertising, didn't you?
1: That's right. I mean, it was all the glitz and the glamour and the bling and, um, you know, selling what I can say is uh, consumerism and materialism to the world. And here I was uh, a year after giving up that very uh, shiny life And I had this life-altering experience, so it set me thinking very deeply about why I had that experience, and I realized that uh, when I look back upon it now, I think it needed to strengthen my deeper understanding about how spirituality needs to be founded on humility. I think at that point in time, there was still some arrogance in me, which got completely Uh, perhaps uh, to a large degree, healed and overcome. I was humbled by the accident about not being so arrogant about wanting enlightenment and thinking I could get it from hard work and through meditating eight hours a day. And I realized that grace upon oneself is so important. Mm -hmm. I could not escape my human life. I think in some ways I felt very unfit to belong to this planet of suffering and harshness, and I I wanted to escape it by spending many, many hours in uh, meditation. And that accident, that near-death experience taught me that I cannot uh, run away from this very important experience on the planet, that I needed to walk through my darkness, that I needed to overcome the fear of my shadows, that I needed to actually become... Um, the wounded healer who had to first heal herself and then help people walk that path. So it was a very, very humbling experience in many ways.
2: And it's probably something that draws a lot of people to the healing space, isn't it, Susie? Uh, Like I have experience in the coaching world and a lot of times when I see people coming into coaching, they they say they're coming into coaching because they want to help other people, but really that coaching journey has to start with themselves, doesn't it? Like they have to find themselves, heal themselves before they can, like I know they can still help people on the way, but they're not coming completely from a place of congruency until they can actually heal themselves. And I guess what you're saying too is just be humble and have a sense of grace around that we are flawed as humans, but we have this ability to heal ourselves and in the process be able to help others along the journey.
1: I think you're absolutely right, Brett. Uh, it is so important to actually work on your own self. In fact, that is the only thing to do. It, it is, again, very arrogant to think that we can heal another. Mm. And if we haven't been able to heal ourselves, there is no question about providing that space for another person, mm. which is why very often when people ask me, what is it that you uh, do? I don't call myself a healer. I prefer to call myself a coach for the simple reason that I think I'm best defined as a farmer of consciousness. I like to farm my own consciousness, very carefully plucking seeds or weeds of darkness, of pain, of personal hurt, of resentments from my own consciousness, and carefully choosing to sow seeds of love, compassion, humility, trust, and care and support for others. So it's a very, very conscious process. And it is only after doing that, that I think I am then able to hold the space in which people find themselves. But at the end of the day, they are finding themselves. I am merely holding that pure, sacred space for them to do that task in
2: yeah and that acknowledging that darkness that we have inside of us is part of who we are isn't it and i think most people try to either ignore the dark side and just go okay well i'm just going to be this this bundle of light without actually like you said tending to that darkness and pulling the weeds but then sowing the seeds of light and once we can accept that darkness is actually part of who we are as humans we can then tend to that garden appropriately can't we
1: Yes, it is interesting why we are so worried about being imperfect. I think that should be yes. the starting yeah. step, the acceptance of imperfection.
2: Absolutely.
0: Now, uh, Susie, with all this wealth and experience, it's obvious that you've um, helped various people all over the world, but um, your latest book, which is uh, The Seven Karmic Codes, mm-hmm. calm The Spirit Within, Um, Yes. Let's draw on some of that experience that uh, this magnificent book that you've actually written to add so much value into people's lives, that has become a bestseller in the world.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: So what what actually drew you to writing that?
1: Uh, Well, there were several reasons. And I think uh, this book had been gestating in me for several years. The very first experience was when my daughter was six years old and we met with that um, near fatal car crash. It was interesting, but being the pure soul that she was, she actually saw me leave my body. Wow. And uh, Yeah, and it was only when she was 17 years old and I was doing a regression session for her that she encountered the whole tale about how she saw me leaving my body and how she thought that um, The person that I was was a walk-in after that, and how why she feared me. But she constantly, after that accident, kept asking me the one question: Mama, who is going to look after me when you and Papa pass? And I will need someone to guide me, to to tell me about how to do things, to understand Mm -hmm. the world and to understand life. And I think that. Uh, created in me a very strong urge and a very strong desire to to create a kind of roadmap or a guide, something that this child could turn to when she grew older. Because having been through that near-death experience, I realized that death can come upon us at any Mm -hmm. time. Later on, when she was 17 and she was taken uh, seriously ill with an attack of dengue and she was lying in the ICU, I remember coming home from the hospital one day, and as I just lay on my bed, totally spent and exhausted, I had this huge flash in my mind, Just it just said to me, start writing the book. And that evening, I penned the first few words of the book.
0: Fantastic.
1: And this... Yeah, and this book is not just for my child. When I wrote it, I realized that during that period, there were so many youngsters who had been coming to me in my uh, clinical work. They were confused. They didn't have the exposure. They didn't understand life. And they they all had one common narrative. I wish we had someone like you to guide us. Aww. And so I thought it was just, it was just the right thing because there are only so many people that I can meet personally Mm. uh in the physical body and i wanted to give something to the children and the Mm. parents of this planet who don't have the opportunities that i have received uh, from my masters my teachers my spiritual understanding something that i could give back to them so that they could rely upon this map this guidebook to be able to deal with those dark difficult times in their lives so that's how the book came about
0: and fantastic it's a number one bestseller so um thank you for adding much value to our people's lives can we talk about karma now so um the audience can understand what this book is about and what karma actually is about from your understanding what is the law of karma in your
1: opinion so karma a very basic interpretation of karma is that it is the universal law of reciprocity whatever you send out comes back to you quite like the returning boomerang so (laughs) If you do good, it comes back to you. And so also with hurt and pain. And also when we look at nature, I mean, if we are going to sow an apple tree, we can't expect to grow oranges, can we? No. Yeah. But, but, but there is a, uh, I like to see karma in a subtler uh, way with a deeper interpretation. For me, karma is also the law of attunement. Now let's say there is a man and he uh, insults someone publicly in a fit of rage. He feels only his anger, but he cannot relate to the humiliation that he has caused to this other person because he is unaware of it. He cannot feel that man's shame. But suppose the very next day, this man's boss calls him at an executive meeting where all his peers are present now He feels the shame and he feels the pain of humiliation. He remembers quite remorsefully that the previous day he did exactly the same thing to another person and he is willing to accept his error. He may even go as far as to atone his misdoing by apologizing to that person. So you see, karma has given him the opportunity to become sensitive to the impact that he has on other people's lives. It has attuned him to the feelings of others It has increased his capacity for empathy. And to that degree, he is made more human and more compassionate. So for me, karma truly is the law of attunement.
0: So a lot of people believe that karma is a kind of punishment for bad deeds.
1: Do you think this is true? Well, I think um, this is a common misunderstanding And um, current is an absolute law, quite like Newton's third law of motion, which says that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. But unfortunately, many universal laws are misinterpreted or lost in translation. And this depends largely upon the person who is interpreting the law. Why is this? Because when an individual has had a childhood experience where they have been Um, colored, or marred, or scarred through some trauma, also through some disciplining, also harsh experiences, what happens is that their worldview becomes colored. So let's say a little child grows up being beaten regularly by his parents. Now, he starts looking upon the authority figure as punitive. His Mm -hmm. worldview becomes punitive. The world is a dark and scary place to live in, and he believes he will be punished for his wrongdoings and therefore he starts interpreting all of his life's experiences and karma as something that's punitive but karma is actually a loving response from the universe to help us look at our own selves turn inwards and examine who we are on the inside and to awaken us and make us more conscious
0: so how do we develop uh or incur karma and And who creates the laws?
1: I think the the laws are evident in nature. If we look around us, the laws are evident in nature. And karma is the energetic imprint, or you can say a kind of celestial record of all our thoughts, our words, our feelings and actions. If our actions cause hurt or harm to others, if our speech is stinging, if in our thoughts we think of hurting others or cursing them, we accrue negative karma or harmful karma. The reverse is equally true. This means that the knowledge of how karma works allows us to evolve. It makes us more mindful of what we are thinking, of how we behave and act with others. It reminds us to use our words carefully because words have power, mm-hmm. and through these words and actions and thoughts, we create either peace or conflict in our lives. This awareness develops our conscience. It also impacts our will and gives us choice. If we understand the rules that govern the lives of humans, we will all learn to live more consciously in alignment with these rules. And I think we will cause less destruction on the planet.
2: Do you think, with it, especially I guess in Western culture, there's a big focus on consumerism and instant gratification do you think there's a there's a part of our society that thinks that especially when it comes to karma if we do something good for someone now we should get something good back straight away
1: you see but that is not karma in no, the sense that uh, he, this is this is selfish interest this is motivated yeah. by selfish interest and uh, karma really is to be understood by the intention underlying a motivation or an action it does not take into consideration the mask or the false presentation that we have. So let's say I do something for someone with a selfish intention, then I'm not going to earn any brownie points for that action. But if I am truly drawn to helping someone because I feel something within me stir because I am impacted by their poverty or I'm impacted by their helplessness, then to that degree, my soul has been sensitized. I've been able to awaken that compassion and empathy within me. And karma is all about helping us become more human. See, presently, a lot of us operate in a very mechanical way. We are the uh, what Sri Aurobindo would uh, refer to like an animalistic human. We are not truly the superhuman that we are meant to be mm. and karma aligns us to become that superhuman who was created in the image of God.
0: So when you talk about uh, the karmic patterns uh, residing around the body uh, if I talk celestially are they kept within the Akashic mm-hmm. records?
1: yes absolutely but the the, the interesting thing is that if we learn to activate our intuition if we start watching our thoughts very closely if we learn to witness our lives all of these will start unfolding for us in our dream states in moments of um intense awareness and presence and you don't have to really go to an akashic record reader to be able to figure this out it doesn't take rocket science it just takes presence and acute awareness of your own self if you can witness yourself in the third person.
0: So Susie, patterns that are repeated in one's life, are these presenting as karmic patterns?
1: Absolutely, and they can be witnessed if we experience repeated suffering in similar situations. So that the faces, be... might, change. Sorry, the faces this... might change, but the experience can yeah. often remain the same. <laughs> yeah.
2: But some people don't change, do they? They just keep doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result, don't they? And they just keep going through life suffering because they keep doing the same things.
1: Absolutely. And that's the whole point. So let's say that someone is repeatedly betrayed in love. Yeah. And the pattern here clearly is feeling betrayed or betrayal. The lesson unlearned is forgiveness of the other. Every time they're betrayed, they're probably carry a lot of negative baggage and anger towards the other person, and they're unable to forgive themselves, the karmic error that they may have committed in the past is that they may have betrayed someone. So what they don't understand, the beauty of this whole thing is in forgiving the other, they are actually learning to forgive themselves because of the interconnected nature of human life. And that is the important lesson that they need to master or learn, Unless they learn to forgive the other, they're not going to alter their pattern. Unless they take responsibility for that relationship, unless they sit down and actually say, okay, I'm gonna put my life under a microscope and see what is it that I'm not learning from this experience. When they intercept consciously the life patterns, they'll be able to change them.
2: Yeah, so essentially you're saying that that is the way that people can actually change their karma. Yes, they can. Yeah, lovely, and so, so therefore, are all events karmic?
0: And the effect that I
1: would say, I would say that the minute uh, we say that karma is every thought I think, every word I speak, every feeling I have, and every action I perform, I think that defines all of life. But the interesting thing here is that we can say that we are experiencing life through the dance of karma we love and we hurt now some Mm -hmm. of it may be linked to past redemptions some of it may be linked to lessons people come into our lives because they have soul contracts with us and they're going to be our teachers in this lifetime and there Mm -hmm. is there is some kind of new karma which was not meant to be part of the core plan or the blueprint that we end up creating when we get entangled by making ego-based choices instead of soul-based intuitive choices And then we are um, adding to the karmic baggage, so to say.
0: So, can a person change their karma, or the karma of other people, or all the events that happen to one's life? Are they all predetermined?
1: Uh, Firstly, I think those are three questions there, Catherine. Can a person change change karma? uh, Yes, we we can change our personal karma. That's the only power and control that we have. Is Changing our own karmic patterns. We cannot influence another person's karma unless we are influencing the karma of a child who's below seven years of age, because the first seven years of a child is very attuned to the parents' karmic patterns. And that is the time that uh, the child is actually embracing and taking over the child, the parents' uh, karmic pattern or the family karmic pattern. If at that point in time we intercept, and we clear some karma, some negative karma, some uh, burdensome karma from the family, then the child will accrue the benefit of that. But after seven years of age, your child will need to go through his own karmic life cycle. And the third thing is that you asked whether we can change our destiny. And yes, we can, because we all come in with a, what I'd like to call a basic destiny plan, which is based on your tendency, proclivities, your desires, your soul quality, the lessons that you need to learn, etc. But there is also the potential destiny which gets activated when we choose to grow, evolve, and willfully seek the truth. So
0: Susie, I met you on um, Rayad International, obviously. And so, I mean, we can look into the patterns of the eyes and actually see ancestral karmic um, patterns too, which, which is very viable for us. But... Um, can karma be predestined by ancestral karma, collect- or like, you know, collective karma such as that of belonging to a country or belonging to a place that we choose to live in?
1: Yes. In fact, our karma is affected by many, many layers. For example, there is individual karma, and karma operates in ever-increasing circles of influence. Individual karma only impacts our destiny. Then family karma takes into account transgenerational effects, epigenetic imprints. The next level is community karma. It affects the entire community. Example, the effect of what the Nazi Germans inflicted upon, let's say, the mentally impaired or the racially inferior, saying that it was a life unworthy of life. And then there is nation-specific karma. And finally, the collective human karma. So as you can see, there are many, many levels from individual to global. And all of these have a bearing upon us which country we are born to, which community we are born to, um, depending on where our karma or our action or our services or our community efforts need to be made.
0: Is it therefore our right or inherent right for us to transition that country karmic condition or that frequency?
1: I think it is our responsibility To recognize that we are born in a particular country for a certain reason and we must see how we can help transform that vibrational capacity of that country through doing the inner work upon ourselves Uh, when we look at david hawkins and his study of uh, the levels of consciousness he very clearly indicated that a person who is able to transcend beyond Uh, 500 on the level of consciousness is able to offset the darkness of someone who, say, let's say uh, at 20 or 30 and not the ratio is one is to 10,000 so one aware person one person in the love energy is able to Mm. offset the negative vibrational challenges of 10,000 other people so (laughs) i tell everyone the vision is one awakened loving lamp in every household if i can do just that we will all be able to transform the planet yeah well well you talk about that
0: a lot you only say three to five percent is required to tip the balance normally
2: Yes. Yeah, it doesn't take. Yes. Time. Yeah, so they talk about the tipping point of trying to change a, um, I guess, a society, and is around that sort of that space. So would it be fair to say, Susie, that every encounter that we have with someone or every relationship that we have with another individual is karma playing out, or has a karmic result from that.
1: Well, we can tell if it is just a chance encounter or a karmic encounter. If it is a karmic encounter, there will be a sense of knowing. There will be an instant like or dislike that you will experience. So if you can tune into your feeling state, you will know it instantly.
2: Yeah, so even if you meet something you you find that they, I guess there's, a, I won't say repel is the right word, but maybe you just don't get along, you clash or whatever, that, that's a good sign that there's some sort of karma playing out.
1: Yes, it's an opportunity for redemption. It's an opportunity for clearing karma. Uh,
0: opportunity, so we shouldn't veer from it. No.
1: No. Yeah, but what do do we normally do is we're going to avoid them. We start developing, (laughs) uh, you know, we come from the ego consciousness and we start uh, developing a negative attitude towards them. And it's so easy to slip into that because it's really, really takes a lot of practice to be awake in every breath.
2: It does. And what, what's what's your recommendation if that happens? What what can you recommend to people that come over there? Because I think many people and many people in the audience would have, have experienced that. Well, and,
0: everyone,
2: yeah. You know, we, we meet some and we go, oh, actually, I don't juggle with that person. And we may not know exactly why, but how do they, I guess, tap into that mindfulness to be able to, to look inside and find out what the lesson is that they need to learn?
1: So I recommend something uh, called emotional hygiene, which is, I believe that just like we need to bathe in, Every day and brush our teeth every day, we need to clear and cleanse our uh, our bodies of our emotional debris every single day. So before we go to bed every night, if we can just Mm -hmm. have a quick review of a day um, and go first to the things that disturbed us, that made us uncomfortable in some way and in that process we are likely to identify someone whom we don't dislike they'll stick out because you know the human mind has a great tenacity for negative thinking and negative feelings so it will be quite clear to us Once we identify who that person is, we instantly know, okay, there is some past negative karma playing out here. And I'm saying it doesn't even matter. You don't need to go into what's the lesson or what I need to learn. The simplest thing is to go into a state of sending and beaming love out to them because you can't hit someone and love them simultaneously. Love is extremely powerful on the vibrational level at... um, you know, 500 plus, and whatever negative feelings you have will dissolve if you are able to just beam love from your heart center to them. Or you can do a simple Ho'oponopono prayer um, and, you know, the four lines of the Ho'oponopono prayer, I'm sorry, I thank you, I love you, please forgive me. And that's it. You do that for a couple of days until you find that uh, thinking about them does not disturb you anymore. And you would have been able to release that lesson.
0: Yes, I mean, for women too, their intuition can be quite strong. So they can come across someone who is maybe toxic or, you know, has murderous plans for them. I mean, they shouldn't avoid that intuition, should they, really?
1: Not at all. I think intuition is... um very, very important because it, it it is coming from the soul. It's coming from our essence and we must respond to the intuition. The only thing is when I talk of karma, I'm talking not about good and bad. I like to use the terms useful and harmful. Yeah. Uh, I like to look at the terms unifying and separating. Yeah, so right. let's say that I think of someone who I think has a terrible, you know, wants to hurt me, a man who wants to hurt mm-hmm. me. That's I right. have to see what is the useful thing to do, or the useful way to respond to his passes or his relationship with me? And what is a harmful way? if i uh am not going to be perhaps direct if i'm going to um play games which all of us play games then maybe things will become harmful the useful thing may be to be more direct to have an authentic conversation to be able to excuse yourself and say i don't think i can do this anymore for this reason then to take an own responsibility for what is happening in that relationship so i think having this uh vision of what unifies. You know, I can separate from someone. I can walk out of a bad marriage and still feel united. Or I can continue to be in a marriage and I can feel horrible and terrible and I can incur a lot more bad karma. So what is unifying? What is harmonizing? What is separating? What is dividing? If we can get a sense of this and how we are going to feel if we take those actions, then we can intuit what is the right thing to do or what is going to bring peace into that relationship
0: right and talking about relationships Susie what is the difference between karmic and soul relationships soulmate relationships
1: ah this is this is a tricky one because when somebody talks about a soulmate you know very often we think that uh, it is purely karmic again but here is a relationship of love Here is a relationship where maybe there's unfinished business. Maybe we uh, have not been able to experience the fullness of love, and so we come back in another lifetime to experience that fullness of love. And so it is the flip side of redemption and the experience of love. They both the same things because karma is not uh, is could be harmful karma or useful karma. This was useful karma, but karma that was not actualized to its fullest potential in another life. So, how does your soul
0: attract what is most important for it to learn from the karmic aspect?
1: Well, we have soul contracts that are
0: uh, Can you developed it a little bit further. Some people might not know what soul contracts are.
1: Okay, so before the um, soul descends into uh, the body of a developing fetus in a mother's womb, that time and the time between a previous incarnation or the life in between lives is the time that a soul gets to review the previous lives, the lessons unlearned, the um, difficult experience it has encountered the lessons it did not master in a previous life, and then it chooses or designs its next lifetime. When it designs the experience of its next lifetime, hoping to evolve and grow to the next level or the next vibratory field, it then creates contracts with people whom it may have hurt, whom it may have loved, whom it may need to impart lessons to, and these become soul contracts. Once we get into the soul-activated age, and the most ripe age are the three seven-year cycles from age 28 to um, 49, uh, at that point, you find that through resonance, you will encounter these people. You will encounter them through the person you fall in love with and you want to marry. They will come to you as your children. They will come to you as your mother-in-law or a um, sibling or a boss someone integral to your life that you will get an opportunity to learn, redeem and grow with.
0: And so when your soul groups, do yes. so they become your soul groups? Absolutely. So the soul groups continually return back with each other, reincarnate together.
1: Uh, some soul groups do until the karma is completely dissolved okay. because, you know, karma is not necessarily, see, we come in and we, we, we don't, because we are not conscious and we live life mechanically while we redeem some karma we also creating a lot more mm. and therefore we'll have to return lifetime after lifetime in soul groups because we haven't completed it it is only when we live very consciously that we may choose that we have dissolved the karma completely and then perhaps we choose to come with a soul group of highly evolved teachers uh, to be able to come to the planet and help others but that lifetime is free of karma when you have reached that level of purity.
0: So you talked about age groups just previously prior to this question. Um, And it is said that there is a five ratio karmic timing to our lives, like the sequence patterns that return at certain stages in our lives, like between one to seven, between seven to 10 and so forth at certain age groups.
1: So, um, Zero to seven is the time when the soul is attuning to the parents and the family's karma and setting the context for the present lifetime uh, until the age of seven when the first milk teeth start falling. And this is the time when the soul uh, will experience and develop all kinds of mental programs. And actually, the hardware for the entire life is developed here. So you may be born to a parent who Either you could be an orphan child, or you could be a child who receives a lot of love, or you could be a child who has uh, experienced a lot of dysfunction in the family or domestic violence or whatever, depending Mm -hmm. upon the lesson that you need to learn in that lifetime, the context is set. Then from 7 to 14, which is until puberty, there is a acclimatizing, which is a sense of separate self and developing uh, your own sense of self in this lifetime. And we also notice that um, if there is a very strong karmic pattern that needs to uh, define your lifetime, then at puberty, a lot of children develop diseases, you know, something that is going to impact them quite severely through that life. That comes mm-hmm. on around puberty, uh, but only in very extreme cases. And it's that's rare. 14 to 21 is when karmic resonance develop. And this is when we... Um, are attracted to certain people. We mm. are learning. We are grounding ourselves, and you know, um, certain people may come into our lives. So all those childhood romances, uh, where uh, you know, <laughs> high school sweethearts, etc., all of that. And this is this is still a very interesting stage. The minute you hit twenty-one, for the next three <laughs> seven-year cycles, yeah. you're you're in hell because you're going to go through karmic redemptions and lessons. So that's wow. hard work. That's really hard work so that's 21 to 28 28 to 35 and 35 to 42 we work really hard and life can seem very tough this is also a time when we'll go through all of these inner crises about uh, finding ourselves and how to become make our lives meaningful in the world going out and earning right. all of those things and then you know raising a family going into parenting issues etc at 42 42 49 is when we start, Uh, Coming and recognizing our purpose. This is the age for purpose. 49 to 56, we start contributing to community. Now, interestingly, this is like a U-turn. So uh, it reflects or mirrors what happens 7 to 14. At 7 to 14, we are getting a sense of separation. And the mirror image of that is this age of 56 to um, 63, which is... The time when you are beginning to attune yourself to the collective and the spiritual, and you are uniting now. You're moving back into union. Mm. So it's it's very beautiful. And then 63 onwards, you're free from the you know, the play of karma in the current lifetime and whatever is you're doing now, you're preparing the karma or sowing the seeds for the next lifetime. What a and it is in it's incredibly beautiful if we understand that each phase of our life has a certain purpose, a certain design, and if we can live consciously and uh, choose our actions and thoughts consciously, we can, we can actually live this life in a very magical way without escaping the pain without um, being in denial without repressing our difficult experiences without selectively wanting only happiness and joy and you know running away or escaping the harder tougher experiences of suffering
2: yeah so when when you say like that it sounds fairly depressing at some points doesn't it so
1: it um, but beautiful.
2: but it's also this ability to have choice around what we do and make a difference and heal ourselves. So that's that's really beautiful at the same time. Now when people when people are looking at what soul to come into, Susie, mm-hmm. why would they I guess is there a need to choose that negative karma? Like why would why would they choose a negative karma if they could choose a, a positive karma for themselves?
1: I don't think they choose a negative karma. Right, I think bad. that that choice that choice is made by us in this lifetime. And uh, the dark choices that we make is because it comes from the ego mind. Yeah. You know, For example, if I want to hurt someone because I've been uh, hurt by them, if I am unable to forgive them, uh, what we call vengefulness, the desire to seek revenge, the desire to get even, the cheek for a cheek and the tooth for a tooth kind of thing, it's coming yeah. from the ego mind because we are so hurt and we don't, we don't have the strength in us to be able to um, forgive the other.
2: Yes, yeah, so, so knowing that they necessarily can't choose that then, because they've already made those choices in, in the lifetime, can they then reduce that karma?
1: Well, we have to burn the karma's rope. Right. We cannot reduce, nobody can reduce the karma for us. This is, um, you know, very often people believe that a master will come and he can reduce your karma or God will reduce your karma or thoughts like that. And I truly believe that um, anyone who understands the work of karma because karma is a loving thing, because karma is about purification of the soul, it is about making you a more loving person, um, I would be doing injustice to someone by undoing or um, reducing their karmic burden because if my child is not going to burn his fingers in the fire, let's say he, he sticks his finger into a candle flame, he's not going to learn that fire burns.
2: Yes, true. So isn't...
1: you need to have... You need to have the experience yeah. to become sensitive. You need to have the experience to, to allow that experience to uh, purify your soul.
0: Does a karma model vary between cultures? Um, you know, does it depend on social norms? Example, um, between the Western world and the Eastern cultures according to you know, what they find um, ethical or what their values of being good or bad are? Does it vary between those cultures?
1: I don't think in the true essence it varies, because when we use the words anything that unites and anything that separates, these are um, lowest common denominators across cultures. And they may be defined differently, they may be um, different cultural norms, you know, some cultures may allow four wives and some cultures may think that's terrible. But at the end of the day, what is the intention beneath it? Okay. If the intention is separation, if the intention is to hurt, if the intention is to seek revenge, if the intention is to cause damage, uh, if the intention is to vandalize something or someone, then then that intention is going to incur or bring on the karma. So I think there is a universal symbolic language of karma that uh, is common to everybody across cultures.
2: Hmm. And love seems to be a central theme in all of that, from what I'm hearing, Susie.
1: Yes, because I think love is most powerful, I mean, unless we can learn to love, and in the book I actually talk about this in a very, very interesting and beautiful way. Uh, You know, if if we think about why did God design human life to be such that we have children, it is only with our children that we experience our most selfless selves. And our children, you know, let's say they are with us till uh, they're eighteen years old, they grow into adults and then move out for eighteen years. day and night, we are trained to look after them. Mm. And it's another very interesting species because if you look at any any other species, the fetus is fully developed at birth. So you take any animal, Uh, you know, you take a horse or you take an elephant or you take a bird and the minute the baby is born, the baby is able to, um, flap its wings. It's able to stand on its legs, but the human fetus, it develops outside the womb, all of the brain cells, its capacity to be human is in the prefrontal cortex or the neocortex which uh, is called the superbrain, or Deepak Chopra calls it, you know, the superbrain or the new brain. And uh, the matrix series, uh, you have the character neo which is actually the representation of the um, third eye or the neocortex. And this capacity is developed after birth, the first six months after birth, because that's when the brain cells are developing, that's when those connections are forming, the neural connections are forming, and that's also the time that a lot of nurturing is required by the parent a lot of bonding is required by the parent and that development is happening outside in a very, very feeling, thinking way. It is also for seven years, uh, the parent, the child is so attuned to the parent's feelings yeah. and is absorbing everything that the parent is feeling. So can we see that the human design is unique in so many different ways? Definitely- so we have to, to, to bear the responsibility for... Uh, wanting to become superhuman in that sense yeah susie some people say
0: that our life and destiny is governed by a, by our personal astrology mm-hmm. um rather than by karma what is the relation in our life if any between astrology and karma and even other planets that surround earth and galaxies that surround earth
1: well i would think that karma and astrology or planets are synonymous Because the moment of birth determines the karmic pattern on the natal chart. So each particular planet is going to teach you certain things or bring certain influences into your life. And that timing is developed based on the life choices or the life design that the soul has uh, agreed to in this lifetime. So based on what you have agreed to in this lifetime, each planet will enter your life at a certain point in time, bringing you those influences that you require to create those contexts.
0: And we've got a beautiful one coming up, haven't we? December 21st, Saturn and Jupiter (laughs) conjunction.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So is it not the very abdomen of injustice that a person should have to suffer in one incarnation for the actions committed in their previous incarnation? And sometimes they have no recollection or memory of it?
1: I don't see it as injustice. I see it as the fullness of an experience. You know, if I tell you that you're going to meet brett next week and he's a man that you're going to love fully with all your heart and uh you know i've given the story away so to say it's going to take the complete intensity and beauty of the relationship that you are going to encounter when you actually go through that experience because i've already foretold you that so uh to that degree the fullness is hampered but if i If I don't tell you anything and you just go through that whole mystical unfolding of the experience, it can be absolutely amazing. There is a fullness to that experience. So I think the uh, memory is hidden only so that we can choose whether we want Mm -hmm. to respond from the ego mind or whether we want to respond from the soul mind and to that degree, we get the capacity to develop our will and we get the capacity to exercise choice.
2: Mm. I guess on, on along that you know, exercising choice, sometimes when we do things, and someone may question why we do that, you say, "Well, it's, it's karma on that other person." That's that's really us just coming from the ego sense, isn't it? We we don't have the right as humans to say that we're the enforcers of karma on other people, can we?
1: We only have the right to judge our own actions. Yeah. We do not have the right to judge anyone else's actions or to say that oh, they are experiencing their karma. If at all, yeah. I like to just think of someone else. Just if they're going through a difficult time, uh, you know, there are times when I'll, I'll be sort of honest here. There are times when I have asked myself if I've seen a friend having a child with a um, who is specially abled. I have just felt that, oh my God, this soul must be such a uh, unique and mm-hmm. um, you know deeply endowed soul to have chosen such a difficult lifetime where he or she has intentionally chosen to take care for, of this child in this yeah. lifetime and learn so much from this child. Yes. So I think it's again a humbling experience more than anything else.
0: Yeah. Mm. What about on the opposite? So, are we interfering with karma if we try to relieve a person's suffering, if we try to intervene and help them?
1: Uh, Not if we are being motivated by the empathy if we are motivated by empathy, then we have been moved by our compassion. And to that degree, again, it's our intention, right? Our intention is to serve, to be of use, to be unified with their feeling. But if our motivation comes from arrogance, which is, oh, I can solve your problem, then you're actually getting entangled with somebody else's karma. And to that degree, you're going to add the burden of karma to your own self.
2: Because it came from pride. Yeah, it is pride, isn't it? And from what I'm hearing, the intent of our thoughts, intent of our actions is paramount to how we live our life. And that becomes a personal choice and a personal responsibility of how we spend each moment.
1: It does. But Brett, you know, the thing is that most of us, we lie to ourselves so often. We do. We like to, we, we, we rationalise. I mean, uh, the ego mind is brilliant. Mm. We will rationalize everything, but it takes a lot of, again, unless we cultivate the humility and the vulnerability, we are unable to uh, actually accept that, look, I am not truly doing this for any good. I'm doing this um, because I have a hidden agenda. Mm. So I uh, developed uh, an exercise many, many years ago for myself to be able to train myself in lessons of humility which is whenever i encountered something dark within myself i had to confess it to someone and i used to actually (laughs) confess it to my husband and it used to be really hard to to actually say those words out loud to to him and say uh i dislike this person or you know i had this thought that i hope this person things don't go well for him oh yeah you know these these are fleeting thoughts we encounter yeah. but how many of us will ever accept or acknowledge them yeah. but every time they happened i stated them i took ownership for them because yeah, unless yeah. i take ownership i'm not going to work at refining them yeah. mm.
0: so you've got a wealth of wisdom inside yourself obviously that you've sat with your book is about seven karmic codes can you tell us a little bit about this best-selling book worldwide
2: where people can find it and yeah, no, no, let tell it, yeah. about
0: the, the actual book
2: okay
0: what are the codes and which oh. is your favorite code and why
1: okay so the seven karma codes are very simply it's a cycle of waking up sacrificing your suffering learning to be happy settling your karmic dues building empathy belonging and remembering and preparing for death. So if I were to go delve a little deeper, I would say the first karma is the karma of waking up, which I call the Suvasna Code. And this is the time when we realize that all the suffering we encounter, this is the uh, in the hero's journey, all the crisis that we have is the most powerful time for us to wake up. That's the first karma, the karma of waking up. The second karma is when we are encountering those difficulties, the karma of surrendering our suffering. A lot of us get involved with our suffering. And when we get involved with the suffering, then we perform all kinds of harmful karma. But how do we use that period of suffering to actually surrender the suffering and milk the lessons or extract the lesson from it? The third karma is the karma of finding and spreading joy through our talents. And this is a Swadharma code, which is how do we align our passions, our purpose, our nature to bring joy to the world through the work that we do, through the careers that we have, and how do we identify which career is most suited to us. The fourth karma is the karma of redemption and learning in relationships. This is an absolute favorite one from lot many people. It's the Anubhava code. Why are we born to certain families? Why do we have, um, you know, these siblings? Why did I marry this man? Uh, why has or why do I want to judge someone or blame someone? Uh, all of these things. Why did so and so hurt me? etc. All of those things. And how do we build enduring relationships? A lot of times people tell me, you know, we went and read your fourth chapter first, the Anubhava Code or the Karma of Relationships first, because we needed instant relief in in their lives. (laughs) And that's the beauty of the book that, you know, you can either read it sequentially from one to seven karma, or you can go to any particular one, depending on where in your life uh, that book meets you. The fifth karma is the karma of building empathy through generosity. This is the dana code, and this is where we learn how to start dissolving the karma. Mm. The sixth is the karma of belonging, which is the Sangha code, uh, the company we keep, what happens, how do we engage with that company? Some of those very difficult questions that we've just Mm. discussed, and how do we remain conscious? And how do we create neuroplasticity in our brains to make uh, newer choices and overcome our limiting beliefs? And the seventh and the final one is the Karma of Remembrance, or the Sankalpa Code, which is a highest intentional aspiration, and how do we um, prepare to move back into and embrace mindfully and fearlessly, how do we embrace dread death? That's the seventh one. So um, that is really the broad journey of what the book tells into, in a very, very um, interesting way, where the book is divided into two parts, you know, there is uh, the right brain part which talks about uh, the practical approach and what you can do to help yourself, and then there is the left brain creative part, which is the the mystery and the story and the encounter and the biographical details, which are um, I'm told by people tugging at their hearts, and um, most of them say we identified ourselves in the pages of this book. Okay. This is so your and
0: the. You really are. I mean, no wonder why it's a bestseller. I mean, you've got this uh, book that is a navigation map for people's lives, no matter what age they are.
1: That's right. That's right. It's for parents. It's for children. It was, uh, I remember when I wrote it, uh, I actually had my son was 13 years old at that point in time. And I would get him to read little pieces to see if someone his age could comprehend it completely. And he could, it's layered like a Disney film. So every time you go back and read it, you will discover something new. It (laughs) will awaken a new insight in you.
2: So Susie, do you have a favorite code? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, I think it's hard to say that there's a favorite code, but um, if I were to pick a central one, the most relevant one, something that impacts our life every day, it would be the fourth code, the one on relationships, uh, redemption and learning there. Yeah. Because all karma eventually unfolds in relationships, both its creation and its dissolution.
0: Yeah. 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 Where where coming. This- yeah, sorry. Sorry.
1: This code explains why we are born to certain parents and the family context. You know, very often I have people saying, why did this happen to me? And a lot of that why gets answered there. Yeah. Why certain people will enter and exit our lives. Why we will encounter our friends and four. It addresses why we constantly need to renew our relationships, just like the body, the physical body renews itself. It explains what love is and what love is not. Why we face relational challenges and how to overcome them. And it also throws light on what you referred to, uh, Catherine, a little while ago on the intergenerational trauma and, um, and how we can resolve genetic. this emotional baggage and karma. Fantastic.
2: So, Susie, where can people find this amazing book?
1: It's available on Amazon uh, in Australia, both the paperback and the uh, ebook. Now, if people want to
0: um, have a session with you, Susie, where can they find you at?
1: Um, they can reach me on my email ID, which is very simply susiehealsme at gmail.com.
2: Lovely. And do you have a website they can go to, Facebook page, um, Instagram? Yes,
1: the, so we, can- absolutely. The website The website is uh, susieheals, www.susieheals.com. I have a Facebook page. I'm on Instagram. Instagram, my handle is Susie Heels. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm available on all social media. You'll find me there.
0: Fantastic. All covered. Susie, I'm going to read your book. I'm sure I'm going to find lots of um, answers to lots of my questions, but we'd love to have you back just talking about relationships next year. It'd be fantastic.
1: Absolutely. And I also have a YouTube channel which um, has over 50 videos which talk about some of these uh, relational issues and challenges and love and breakup and mental health uh, and all such very interesting things, including grief and losing loved ones. So, any of uh, the listeners who would like to go to the YouTube channel and watch those films, um, they're welcome to do so.
0: SusieHeels.com.
1: It's Susie Singh. Yeah, okay. Susie the, the Susie Singh. Yes, and you—you know—if you want to read any of my, because I—I I write very extensively, and a lot of these videos, um, I've spoken on very many uh, wellness platforms. A lot of these are available. If you just Google Susie Singh healer, you will find a lot of material on Google itself.
2: That's fantastic, and it's so lovely to see that you got so much information out there that's so freely available for anyone that is really on a path to. Heal themselves and find a better version of themselves.
1: Absolutely. It's my, I have committed my life to this bread. I uh, just have this, um, you can say, a mission or a, yeah. a deep desire to be able to help more than 10 million people on this planet. And um, all the life or the years that are left in me, that's all I want to do.
0: What an inspiration you are and so honoured to know you, Susie. Fantastic. We're going to have to wrap up the show. Unfortunately, that's... That's, that's gone quickly. Gone yeah. so quickly. <laughs> we'd love to ask and about the knowledge and wisdom that you impart. Just unbelievable. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so very much. Uh, I've absolutely loved being on your show and uh, thank you both for having me here for giving me this privilege and honor and i'd love to come back and we can talk about more things in the new year Fantastic! Uh, to, yeah, to all your listeners a very happy christmas and season's greetings from me
2: thanks Susie. thanks very much
0: You're listening to 3ABR 87.6 FM, The Wellness Couch. And this is our last show for the year. We'll be back in 2021. So lots of love, health, happiness and abundance to you all for Christmas and into the new year. Take care. Look after yourself. Thank you for listening. We've enjoyed bringing The Wellness Couch to your door. We'll be back better and stronger in 2021 with lots of great programs. In the meantime, we've got lots of replays and podcasts that can be found on apollobayradio.podbean.com. The wellness couch. See you later. See you soon. Bye bye. Now that she's back in the atmosphere, the
1: drops of juice.